Unmuddle. Have you heard of them yet? If you haven't, you've got to check them out at unmuddle.com slash colleges. They are disrupting the community college scene. Their course to jobs marketplace is a modern way for community colleges to compete with the big players. Check them out again at unmuddle.com slash colleges. That's U-N-M-U-D-L dot com slash colleges. Welcome back to America's leading higher education podcast, The EdUp Experience, where we make education your business. Hosts Dr. Joe Salustio, Elizabeth Liba, and producer Elvin Freites bring you the brightest and most influential minds in higher education today. We explore innovations, ideas, and issues in higher education and beyond, and hopefully have a little fun along the way. Now let's get to it. I am Dr. Lorenzo Reyes, Associate Vice President for Workforce Economic and Resource Development at San Juan College. As a founding partner, we value how Model can enhance workforce development. Model brings together community colleges and employer needs to create credentials that lead to jobs with good family-sustaining wages. The future of community colleges is about meeting learners where they are through short-term industry-recognized credentials. This can put them on the path to degrees in new careers while directly filling real workforce needs of employers. As on one college, success matters is more than a tagline. It is at the heart of what we do. And our model gives us one more opportunity for our students and our communities to succeed. Welcome back, everybody. This is the Yetup Experience Podcast, where we make education your business, interviewing the brightest, the most influential minds in higher education. Today, my name is Dr. Joe Salustio. Not with me today, not with me. I'd like to reiterate that for when she listens to this episode uh, or slash edits it. Not with me, my esteemed co-host, Elizabeth Liba. However, she did want me to read something to the audience today. Um, uh, it's in uh, her absence. She wanted me to read a message to the audience. And, and here I, I have it uh, handy to read before I bring my guest in. Uh, and this is, I, I quote, quote uh, Liz here. Uh, uh, Good morning, everyone. I'm so sorry I couldn't make the episode. Please know that Joe is the best at a post. Um, there's never been a host like him before. I aspire to be as good as him as a podcast host. Uh, I may never be. Uh, and then it's signed Liz. So she wanted me to just read that to everybody. Uh, I don't know why she wanted me to do that, but you know what? I thought it was very nice of her to say all those things about me. Uh, so what I want to do now, uh, it's going to be great when she listens to this, by the way, uh, is bring in my guest, uh, very special guest today. I'm really excited to talk to him about the work he's doing in the higher ed space. And his name is Ryan Stowers, and he's the executive director of the Charles Koch Foundation. Ryan, how you doing? I'm doing great, Joe. Thank you. Thanks for uh, having me on. Uh, no, I, I thank you for coming on, and I, you know, especially want to make sure you also, as a, our guest today, heard that message from Liz. And you're in good hands. Um, she isn't here to to learn and be mentored by me, but uh, we'll we'll invoke her uh, just the same as we move through our questions and uh, and see how it goes. But I I do want to ask you, Ryan, because you're you know, look, you're leading. Um, as the executive director of the Charles Koch Foundation, you guys are doing really innovative work, um, partnering with social entrepreneurs removing the barriers that prevent people from reaching their potential, right? That's, that's the about us uh, message that you put on your site. Talk to me about 
what's happening at the Koch Foundation right now. As a result of everything that we've seen in the last 18 months with the coronavirus, new companies, ed tech, higher ed, credentialing organizations, where are you putting your priority in, in funding and what types of companies are out there right now that look interesting? Yeah, no, I'm happy to jump in and, and thanks. And it's it's amazing that that note from Liz was incredible. I, you've got an incredible co-host. It um, really is. I mean, something. It is, yeah, amazing. So, uh, no, Joe, I, this is this is awesome, and and you summed it up really well. I won't repeat it. I, the one the one part that I wanted to add. So we we are working to remove barriers from people's lives. It's all based on this premise that that every individual has extraordinary potential. And, and I think that's really important. And then what we've done is we've gone in and identified the areas where we think that potential is being blocked by, by different obstacles, different barriers that people face, and then, and then hone in on the areas where we as a philanthropy feel like we can add the most value in, in removing those barriers and, and changing people's lives. And as you pointed out, one of those areas is education. And, uh, and so, you know, especially um, post-secondary ed, and, and you also pointed out that there's been a lot of change. You know, interestingly, I think we've all, uh, you've, you've mentioned this on your show, a lot of this change had been um, coming and, and, and being driven long before COVID hit. And then the pandemic really highlighted a lot of these changes and, and the, the transformation that's occurred over the last you know, year and a half has been incredible. And, and you're right, it's changed the way that we're working. It's changed the way that, um, you know, the, the people we're partnering with are working. It's changed the marketplace and it's changed the ideas that are coming to us that we're just, just so excited to be a part of. And, and um, one thing that one thing I want to point out that's been kind of interesting is there's a lot of talk about innovation that, you know, that's being driven both, um, like I said, challenges that we were facing pre pandemic and then and then the pandemics really added fuel to those. Um, the mistake I see that a lot of us are making and, and I think we've got an opportunity to change this and, and, and some have figured it out. And I wanna highlight, highlight a few of those folks, but it's this idea that um, just, just going online or just using technology isn't necessarily sufficient when it comes to innovating in a way to help learners reach their full potential. Let me, let me, let me ask you about that because that, yeah. that, that was yeah. my next question was you, you partner with innovative educational companies and, and, or outfits or whatever you want, institutions. What, how do you define that? You know, when somebody's thinking, I've got an innovative idea or I've got an innovative, uh, you know, so you're kind of talking about it a little bit. It's not just having technology. What is educational innovation from your point of view? Yeah. So where, where we think the innovation needs to occur is, is these institutions really recognizing what it's going to take to reach every learner and and there are millions of learners and so really honing in on this individualized approach to learning the fact that learning is lifelong we're all focused on post high school the 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 traditional university experience 74% of of learners in the post secondary ed space are the non traditional students so 
To some extent, we've been focusing partially on the wrong problems. We need to break down those concepts and rethink the way that we define learners. And then the way that these institutions or programs or models or educators help learners needs to change dramatically. And this is where we're, we're so excited. We call it three-dimensional learning. And it's, it's really uh, helping people first learn who they are, what are their strengths and weaknesses. Um, so learn to be, learn to know, learn to do. Help them learn who they are. Um, then based on who they are, what their aptitudes are, help them gain the knowledge and skills they can, they can use to be successful, again, based on who they are. And then three, help them learn how to apply those in a way that helps themselves and helps other, other people. And when you think about the status quo, when you think about um, for decades, we've had a kind of a standardized one size fits all approach to, um, to learning. Many times, most of our programs skip that first step and learners aren't given a chance. They're not engaged in a way to really figure out who they are. They follow the path that's already been set in front of them. That's kind of a check the box pathway instead of really instead of really discovering who they are and then charting a, a pathway based on that knowledge, based on what their aptitudes are, what their passions are, what their strengths are, and what their weaknesses are. And that, that I think, we think, is, is one of the areas where we think innovation could be transformative. There are other areas as well, things like alternative credentials, the transfer opportunity that we've got, breaking down the barriers between institutions, essentially creating what, what we, what we want to try to catalyze, and we're just a part of, of thousands of, of social change entrepreneurs that are trying to come up with these bottom-up solutions, but what we want to try to catalyze and bring about is a, is a completely new and dynamic landscape of learning options that will help all learners reach their potential. And so that's the kind of disruption, that's the kind of innovation that we're looking for. And we're looking for scalable, impactful um, opportunities, models, programs, initiatives, whatever you, whatever you wanna call it, um, that, that, is, that is driving that kind of change and that kind of innovation in, in the way we think and act about learning. One of the things you've said, three things in there I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you about. One of them that I think is really important is the definition of a student. I see it all the time. I'm sure you do too, Ryan. An article that says students, it's like this one bucket of people, students this, students that. And when you're talking about innovation in higher education or you're talking about institutional type, you have to define who you're talking about. Are we talking about the traditional 18-year-old going to find myself a way to a, a college experience student? Or are we talking about the adult learner that's got kids at home that's that's attending sometimes on a campus and doing online sometimes? Are we talking about the adult learner doing all online all the time? Without that definition, uh, you, you know, the, the single bucket definition doesn't work in higher education anymore. So that's one of the things I picked out from what you said is that adult learner population is really the new traditional student. And let's figure out who we're talking about because educational innovation might be different for each student type, right? No, that's spot on. I, I think that defining the learner is so, so critical. And, 
And you're right. I mean, most of the most of the debate, most of the conversation, frankly, most of the efforts deployed to, to problem solve are focused on that 18 to to 25 year old, or the, again, the kind of the traditional college student. And in reality, if we really if we really think about it, learning and work are are at times synonymous. And yet we don't treat them that way. We think you you go learn and then you go work for 40 years. Well, I can tell you over the past 15 years working at the Charles Koch Foundation, I've learned a lot more. As wonderful as my university experience was, I've learned a lot more working. Um, I, I learned a lot more working on a dairy farm as a kid in some instances about work ethic and other things that have helped me throughout my life. And so um, we need to we need to break down some of these stigmas and concepts and, and norms that we've created and go exactly in the direction you, you suggested and, 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 and really think about learners, lifelong learners, and, and, and really that pathway, that pathway that can be shaped, that pathway that's that's riddled with some failure. So people learn, make mistakes have the ability to pivot and transition because maybe they maybe they started down a path that wasn't based on who they are or where they're going to find the most joy those pivot points are in, incredibly important our system's so rigid that that if people pivot sometimes they get lost or they fall behind or they get bumped out we can't have that we've got to break down the barriers that allow people to make those pivots as they learn and, and adapt uh, their pathway to, to themselves. I, I think you're spot on, Joe. I think what you're saying is correct. It's interesting that you you talk about that, and it, this may be unfair because Liz's not here, but it's, I, I liken the the failure and barriers to her podcasting career without my coaching. I, I don't know if it, I, I don't know how she'll feel about this episode. I really don't. But as you talk about you know making mistakes and and then improvement, it's it's exactly her pathway toward becoming a better podcast host, which which I facilitated for her. But that's another story for another. You're gonna day, get in a lot right? of trouble, Joe. Oh, you have no that's idea, right? I'm going to say, I'm going to, I'm going to like lock it. You know, I have, I lock her out of listening to this episode before it comes out. So I can just shield myself from the, the blowback. But anyway, on to the, the, the other thing I wanted to pick, uh, pick on that, that you said about alternative credentials. And this is actually something that's been a really live, uh, a lively um, and divisive topic for a narrative on LinkedIn, particularly because people post an article, people read it, they post, you've got trolls, you've got, you know, different opinions coming in when we're talking about alternative credentials. Alternative credentials are very good for higher education. I, I think anybody who studies or has been involved in our industry knows that the student if you're listening to the student, which a good marketer would do, the student is demanding alternative pathways to, to achieve their educational goals. But what you have, and I read this recently, is over a million credentials. The last time somebody counted, that might have been a couple of weeks ago, there might be 2 million now. There's no rhyme or reason around some of them. You know, it's, it's one thing when Google does alternative credentials because they've got brand power behind them. And one, one thing when you get it at, uh, at uh, Bill's garage and, you know, you're learning, a, uh, you know, how to, uh, how to, you know, bail hay or something and what those credentials look like. Talk to me about your experience and uh, uh, communication with potential alternative credentialing uh, companies. How do you sift 
through value and I don't want to say not valuable, but not viable credentials. Cause there's just so many and there's no regulation or rhyme or reason around some of it. Yeah. I think that's a great question. And look, um, you know, we're, we don't have the answers, you know, we're working with, with a lot of partners that are either finding the answers or, you know, developing them. But here's what I, here's what I can tell you. And this is, you know, from my perspective, you think about the, the, a lot of the credentials that we've been using for the past several decades, in a lot of ways, they're, they're based on this concept of es- exclusivity. They're based on, um, they're based on a um, kind of an elitist approach, frankly. It's a, it's a, it's a small minority of potential learners that gets certified in, in a way that's, that's really monopolized by a handful of organizations. And what I can tell you is in order to really, if, if we really, as, as people in investing in this space, if we really understand our mission to be creating dynamic opportunities so that all learners can reach their full potential, that, that needs to be disrupted in, in major ways. And is it going to be a little bit clunky and messy? It, yes, it is. But the but the marketplace has solutions for that. Where if if we can open that up, and and this gets back to the the um, individualized pathways, we we technically need individualized credentials. And there's no reason why, if an organization with an enormous amount of credibility certifies someone in a unique way, there's no reason why that can't have unique merit for that person relative to the job they're seeking or whatever it may be. And there literally could, if there are millions of learners, there literally could be thousands or, or, or millions of forms of, of credentialing. And, you know, and, and you, you, can, you can follow that through and, and kind of quickly determine how the marketplace will, will weed out the, the uh, credentials that don't make sense or that aren't actually certifying people in the way that they they say they are, but we need to go much further in the direction of disruption and, and multiple options than, than reverting back to where we've, we've gone. And the, the good thing is, is that you're, you, you said it, this is, this is taking on a, a life of its own. The cat's out of the bag that the credentialing um, engine is just getting going. And I think we're going to see a lot more of it and we need to resist. Um, look, I understand it's hard to it's hard to change when we've been doing something a certain way for for decades or even even centuries, but we've got to resist this kind of um, protectionist um, approach to what has really been um, exclusivity and 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 turn it much more into an individualized approach for all learners. And I, I don't know if that answered your questions because I don't think we figured it all out. I think we've got to I think we've got to invest, experiment, support those that are are um, testing in this space. And you know, a lot of employers, a lot of nonprofits, a lot of hybrid universities. Um, one example, Mike Rowe, uh, you know, we've partnered with Mike Rowe. Mike Rowe, Dirty Jobs, incredible guy. He's got an alternative certification for people entering the skills trade. It's called the uh, sweat pledge, the micro sweat pledge. If I'm an employer, um, wanting to hire someone who 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 needs to to have basic skills like honesty and a certain type of work ethic and 
and other things that, that they can achieve or demonstrate competency through that sweat pledge. What a great signal from someone that, that I think is highly credible. I think Mike Rowe's a credible, honest person. I think he's, he's, his foundation's trying to help a lot of people. And then experiment. If I hire five of them and they all work out, that's a pretty strong market signal that that credential is saying something to me as an employer about that individual that, that I'm going to take to the bank and, and repeat as I hire more people. So I don't, I don't know if that's if yeah. that answers your question, but that's how I would answer it right now, knowing we still have a lot to learn. Hi, I'm Kristen Goobser from Gateway Community College in Phoenix. Gateway is a founding college partner of Unmuddle. In today's competitive higher ed landscape, Unmuddle is a critical tool for working learners and employers to dynamically and flexibly build the workforce pipeline of the future. By partnering with community colleges, Unmuddle allows for training to happen anytime, anywhere. One competitive advantage of Unmuddle is the opportunity to take non-credit training and convert it to college credit when needed to support advancement in the workplace. With Unmuddle, we bring college to you. You know, that's that's a really good example too, because I think that the, what a what a great name first of all the sweat pledge it's it's you know the inference is that you're getting a gritty worker somebody that's going to work really hard and i think that work ethic is one of the areas that we uh i'm gonna say we higher education because i'm i'm involved in this i'm in higher by but let me actually before i go down this other path i like interrupting myself since liz isn't here you're talking about elite uh institutions i guaranteed i'll never be able to get hired at an elite institution in my life there's too many podcast episodes where i've gone this this is wrong and that's wrong um what i find fascinating about higher education and and maybe you do too ryan you know, when once the during coronavirus, you saw some of the elite institutions drop their uh, admissions uh, testing, so their applications went up because everybody went, "Hey, I don't have to test into this institution. I'm just going to send my stuff off." So, you know, elite institution that might have had ten thousand uh, applications had forty thousand applications and accepted the same amount of people, but that's how it goes. I've read this uh, press release now when. A company does a press release, and I've said this in a previous episode, but when a company does a press release, it's usually to celebrate something that's really good that your company has done, right? That's to bring press, good press to your organization. And this press release for this institution was, we had 10 times the amount of applicants we've ever had, and we only we accepted only 3%. So, you know, we had 50,000 applications and only accepted, you know, 1800 students. Yay for us. Yeah. Let's and chalk I, that up as a success. My goodness. Yeah. yeah. And I thought to myself, what other business puts out a press release to celebrate how many things they didn't sell or <laughs> how many people they didn't help. And, and I thought that, you know, so when you think about, because you talked about this, you know, for every learner, for every student, are you, is that a baseline criteria for grant funding or other funding for higher education is scope scalable to everyone. Is that a foundational requirement? It's, it's definitely one of the questions we ask. I mean, we want some of the models in their experimental form have small scale, but they have the potential to scale. So just a couple of examples. And I think this one example nails what you're talking about right on the head. And that, you know, if you look at Michael Crow, at Arizona State University. And I know a lot of people have, have heard about Michael and what he's doing at ASU in this space. The, the kind of innovation we were talking about before 
Um, his approach is completely different than what you described out of that press release. And, and, and this is where the innovation isn't necessarily going online, although he's doing a lot of incredible things online and it's, it's helped him. But he stepped back and said, look, we want to change. We don't want to be we don't want to be an exclusive organization. We want to be an inclusive organization. We want to serve the people of first Arizona and then and then nationally and internationally. We want to help learners in ways where we can reach them where they are. And you look at the culture change he's driven within that institution has been transformative. And it's it's on all margins. I, I tell this story all the time. I had a conversation with him about his um intro to algebra, freshman level algebra, they realized that in the past that had been one of the weeder courses. And we all know about this. Every university has a few courses that weed out the people that don't cut it, that don't fit, that don't make of it. Of course. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and we hear about this all the time. I experienced it. I'm sure, I'm sure you did as well. They went into algebra and said, hey, let's let's think about this differently. Let's go at this. You know, you think about what you're learning in algebra. You're learning to solve complex problems. You're using to you, you're learning to use your brain to bring different variables in to solve complex problems. That's really what you're learning. So let's let's teach this in a way where we can increase the number of, number of people that make it through, not decrease it. And it's been transformative and they've adapted, they've individualized their approach. They've realized that some students learn algebra in this way more effectively than others. They've totally dismantled the sage on the stage, the, 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 the classroom setting that we're, we're used to. They've brought in mentors and really helped people because they identified it as a barrier to them fulfilling their mission of helping all learners reach their full potential. And it's been transformative, that one little tweak. And it's just one example of where ASU is, is killing it on so many fronts um, from, from, from the standpoint that I'm talking. And so that's a, that's a scalable um, model because it can be not only applied at ASU, but if people start to figure this out, it could be applied um, at every state university across the country and, and beyond. And so, just just one example that I think really, really um, nails what you were what you were talking about, Joe. By the way, I was getting I was going to mention how I've never used algebra and it, it, it didn't help me. And then you said so eloquently how valuable it is. And so I instead of sounding like a total dummy, I thought I, I'd say, yeah, you're right. I, you know, I it's you know, but that brings me to the question too. a great example, by the way. But what is the you know, one of the areas that's being discussed in in. Um, mold around, if you will, is the value of general education in its current form. That's a great example of how you can take something general education based. And if you completely flip it and show value in it and make it valuable to students, it can become something more, more viable and more worthy in their minds. Um, but, but general education by and large is one of the areas where there's a lot of complaints amongst uh, higher education uh, institutions, uh, uh, companies, right? Companies, employers saying, hey, look, we need people that know how to do this work. We use an example, Ryan. Um, uh, we had a gentleman by the name of Bernie Weiss on way early in our, um, our uh, I don't know, probably our first 50 episodes somewhere. 
and he was he's the president of iHeartMedia in New York. And his complaint was, I can't find people who can actually sell. Like I want to hire yeah. college grads as account managers, but they come out of college and they don't can't actually sell. Now they know they know what that looks like, at least conceptually how to sell, but they actually don't understand the hard skills of calling people, following up these, these hard skills, relationship building, dialogue, uh, uh, you know, br uh, breaking down a conflict situation. And then the higher ed community gets kind of put on notice. Like what, what is general education going to look like in the future? Can you talk about something innovative you've seen in that area or thoughts that you have in that area of general education and whether it needs to change to better align with outcomes in the future. Yeah, I'm happy. I'm happy to, and, and, and I'll try to think of an example, but just generally, I, I think I would, I would revert back to this push for, I mean, just the word usage is interesting, but I would push for the individualization instead of the generalization or standardization of learning. I think that's where we've made the mistake. I mean, you said this, but there are other data points. 61% of graduates regret their choice of major when they come out of universities. Only a third of students at four-year institutions believe they'll graduate with the skills and the, and the knowledge to be successful in the, in the workforce. And then those, those interested in, in acquiring new skills, 72% expressed a preference for, for an option other than a four-year college or, or university. And I think, I think the market, the demand is sending really strong signals that we don't need general ed, we need individualized ed. And, and again, if you, if you think about, I know these, these words don't quite get at the transformative nature of this, but if we invested as much as we do in these other in these other standard forms or these standard approaches, if we invested as much as we do in those in helping people first discover who they are and then helping them base a learning pathway on that, you'd identify the people that have the inclination or, their, or the proclivity to be good salesmen and, and women. You'd identify the people who uh, might find value in, in learning some of the hard skills that that you you mentioned and then you could get them you could get them training and would it mean that they would would it mean that they would maybe uh, miss a literature class or a or a biology class or yes but the the um the trade-offs are are huge and for far too long other industries have really honed in on the the power of individualization and education's kind of left it behind. And I, I think that's where the moment is, I think. And so a lot of our, um, you know, a lot of our approaches, I'll just throw out a, a handful, um, Minerva. It's a, it's a new university in San Francisco that um, um, has been formed. It's, it's now accredited, it's, it's, uh, it's highly individualized. They, their teaching models are different. They reach students in ways that that other universities just don't. And their success rate is, is much better than, than what we're seeing out of, out of a traditional university. So there's, there, and that's just one example. Uh, ben Nelson is the guy that founded Minerva and, and he's, he's incredible. I think you're, you're seeing, uh, 
you're seeing Western Governors University, their approach um, has been transformative and they, they hone in on this connection, this direct connection between learning and work. And they're exploiting the heck out of that. And they're bringing students in, in droves because they're allowing students to have flexible schedules. They've got um, both a professor, uh, a mentor, and someone to help uh, the person, the student kind of the learner kind of navigate their pathway. So they've got three professional, essentially educators to, per student, helping them navigate what they do. And they're not they're 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 kind of skipping the 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 general ed and going to what people need in order to be successful in order for them to to um, build a pathway based on who they are and then help them connect that pathway to ways in which they can create value for themselves and others and and that's where i think we've got to go so there's there's there there are numerous examples we could we could highlight those are just a couple that stand out so talk to me about the the big vision for the Koch Foundation in post-secondary ed. Uh, is there a push for post-secondary ed versus other verticals you guys are investing in? Is it is it a is it just one of many focuses? Is it somewhere you're looking to increase your footprint? Talk to me about that vision uh, that you guys have. So we've we've been partnering with institutions, really universities, for fifty plus years. Charles has been at it for a long time. I've been there for uh, 16 years and we've invested and in, we've, we've given grants to over 400 uh, universities. We're still heavily involved in, in universities and we know that they will continue to play an absolutely critical role. And, and one of the roles we haven't talked about that, that universities do play is generating research that can help drive important conversations on issues that are that are really important university professors they can make or break some of these innovations or ideas that they're they're providing a lot of the foundation for the the progress that we've made in society they need to keep playing that role and in areas where we see value we're going to continue to invest in in those types of research projects because we know they're they're valuable and so we've got a a, a long list of of issue areas where we're focused there but a big chunk of our portfolio, and I would say by far uh, the largest part of our portfolio, will quickly become this, this kind of transformation in the post-secondary ed space. And that model is, is really built on the idea we're, we're looking for the entrepreneurs out there um, that we can help through you know, our, our resources to give them a leg up or to give them the, the credit or the highlight that they deserve in order for their models to, to um, catch fire and to have impact. And, and so we're, we're working to be a, a catalyst um, from a philanthropic standpoint, from a partnership standpoint. We hope to be a part of movements that will really try, will, will really drive change in, in the way we think and act about education. In, in the ways that, that, that we've been talking today. And, and, and we know that if we do so, we can, we can, we can be successful. We think that, that there's, there's nothing stopping us from, from creating a dynamic landscape that will help all learners reach their full potential. And so that's ultimately our vision. And, and, and we're, we're gonna do our best to play the role that we can to make that happen. So there's a number of companies out there, and in my mind, I'm just thinking about them right now, ones I've come across in the Edup experience, uh, others that I know about, 
where perhaps they uh, don't know about the Koch Foundation or the Koch Foundation doesn't know about them. If there's a company out there that has a transformational technology, you want them to think, hey, apply apply for a grant, right? You want them to, you, you want to look at that technology um, and and see its impact, right? So as we spread the message here uh, of the Koch Foundation, it's, hey, look, uh, go go take a shot here, at, you know, at, at funding if you think you have something that's transformative, right? Yeah. Now, if if you're a if you're an education entrepreneur, you recognize that changes need to occur, and you're experimenting, or you have ideas. Um, we we definitely want to talk to you, and and we're we're trying to be more present in those those areas and and get get the word out. We we're anxious to talk to you. We're we're talking to a lot of of um, entrepreneurs right now and we want to talk to a lot more. So yes, Joe, that's exactly right. So one of the things that we do here at the Edup Experience is we ask two final questions of our of our guests. Um, one, one really easy one that you can uh, take uh, and then one that's a little bit harder. Um, so we ask the second one second, the harder one second, I should say. The first is, what did we miss, uh, Ryan and you and I going back and forth today at, about the Koch Foundation that you would want to leave our audience with, which I will tell you many are in the transformational technology space for higher ed. What did we miss about the Koch Foundation, the future uh, uh, programs, anything that you want to talk about that, that you wanted to get out today? And uh, secondly, what do you think the future of higher education is going to look like? Yeah, so I think we covered most of it, but what I would just say is maybe what we didn't hit on is the extraordinary moment we're in. So we've talked about the need for transformation. We've talked about all the kind of tailwinds. We've even talked about some of the headwinds that we're facing. Um, but the last 18 months, you know, have been so transformative. Let's, let's not miss the opportunity. Let's build on that momentum. and and. Uh, we're anxious to partner with people that, that share that kind of sense of urgency, that recognize the need for change, that recognize that we're, we're setting a lot of people up for failure or suboptimal results in, in their pursuit of, of happiness and, and fulfillment and well-being and their ability to support themselves and their families and their ability to, to help make the world a better place. Let's change that and let's, let's, let's really hone in on the power that individualized learning can can have in empowered learning is, is you know is, is what we like to call it you know let's let's hone in on the the innovation that needs to occur in order for all learners to first learn who they are and then build a pathway based on who they are to 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 learn in ways that unlocks their potential let's let's do it so if 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 if, if any of the listeners share that vision and they want to consider uh, partnering with us, please visit ckf.org. That's our website. Then your, your second question, sorry, Joe, can you ask that again? Yeah, my second question, I'll re-ask it. Uh, actually, I have one in the middle of the second question. So, uh, and this is a really serious one. You know, I we've had uh, Ken uh, Knieven on uh, the Edip Experience twice, once at his previous position and once as a program officer with the Koch Foundation. And I'm also connected to you and uh, Watt, one of the employees there. Is there anything you want to say about those guys live here on the Edip Experience, Ryan? Uh, <laughs> I'm just messing with you. Um, no, I'll, I'll say so, one thing. 
I, you know, I, I can't take credit. I work with an incredible team. So it's not, we've got, you know, we've got 20 to 30 people at the foundation all focused on what I've been talking about. And, and so in, in actuality, they're the people, they're the team that you're going to meet with if you, if you come in and express interest. And we've got an incredible team of highly passionate, highly engaged, highly knowledgeable folks. The other thing I would say is we, I said this before, we don't know it all. We're still learning. So help us learn. We've learned so much from the partners with whom you know we're engaging and 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 supporting and we're anxious to learn so help us learn if 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 you've got feedback for us or have ideas that you know we could benefit from we need those so please please give them to us i bring that up only because i like to give those guys a hard time but secondly to to note that the uh, the individuals i've been connected to at the coke foundation are extremely awesome to work with. And so I want to back up what you said there, Ryan. But the, the second big question I had for you was, what's the future of higher education going to look like? I think there's going to be ongoing disruption. It's, it's going to be at times slow. Um, other times it's, it's going to be move, move rather quickly. And uh, I, I think that the tailwinds that we've got with us are going to push in the direction that we've been talking about no matter what we do. But um, I think we could get there a lot more effectively and a lot more quickly and, and do it in a way that, that really responds to the, the need and opportunity and potential of all learners. And I, 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 think, we'll, I think we'll rise to the occasion. I, I think the I think it's going to take a long time, but I, I think I think we'll rise to the occasion and I think we'll see some of the institutions that maybe have been resistant in the past um, start to change as well. And I'm really excited to be a part of that and, and watch it unfold and see the, the power that it unleashes in people's lives. That's it's going to be incredible. Well said, my friend. I, I like uh, I like that. And, you know, if Liz were here, she would uh, she would congratulate me for asking you amazing questions. Uh, she would then thank you for coming on the show. Uh, but but I think that's a good uh, place to leave it. I encourage everybody to check out the Koch Foundation if you haven't. They're doing really innovative uh, things and, and funding innovative projects. Uh, you know, look, guys, this is a team effort here. So if you've got a great idea and you've got a, a, a something that's going to to really bring equity and change through the the landscape of higher education, you know, contact Ryan. You're on LinkedIn, are you not, Ryan? You're easy to find. Yes, I'm on LinkedIn. Yes, and 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 please reach out and come to the website ckf.org. We'd love to hear from you. You heard it here, guys. His name is Ryan Stowers, and he's the executive director of the Charles Koch Foundation. Ryan, thank you so much for coming on the Edip Experience podcast. We really appreciate it. It's been an honor to get to talk with you today. Thank you, Joe. And sorry we missed Liz. Y'all, don't worry. We'll we'll give her a hard time next time we talk. All right. All right. Thank you.